Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you, and thank you for tuning in with us. It's a privilege to open the Bible and study together, and uh, today it's no exception. We are going to start a, a new Bible study, and as you know, we had the privilege for studying together for three months, uh, the book of Isaiah, wonderful, wonderful book. And uh, many uh, of uh, you just pointed out that uh, that was really interesting and you learn a lot of things. And thank you for uh, mentioning that. And I'm encouraging you also to contact us if you have uh, thoughts, ideas in regard to what we're doing here. Today, I'd like to introduce uh, our panel, and it's a little bit different than usual. Uh, it's almost a brand new panel with maybe one or two exceptions. And um, I will start with Pastor Gary Hodgkin. Welcome to the program, Gary. It's great to be able to come and join you, Nick. Uh, absolutely fantastic. I, uh, I love being able to share through radio, and uh, it's wonderful to be able to join with you today. And uh, get its uh, well-known voice here on Faith FM uh, from Drive Time. And as you'll see here, we have uh, quite a few people from Drive Time show joining us today. David, it's good to have you with us also. Great to be here, Nick. Thank you for inviting me. Helen, now you are part of the old panel, but also on the new panel. It's good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. I'm glad you said new panel, because when you said older panel, I was looking around and saying, hmm, okay, I think I'm the only gray-haired one here. <laughs> Great to be here. You have a good sense of humor, Helen, and uh, we always appreciate that. Uh, Joseph, uh, it's good to have you with us, uh, too. Yeah, thank you, Nick. Uh, looking forward to it. it oh, I have had the opportunity to be on the, uh, the panel for the Bible study on a couple of occasions, but not for a little while, so it's good to be back. That's right, actually. That's a good point. I remember now, um, yeah, some while ago. Uh, Joseph, it's also a privilege to have you prepare this Bible study, and you are going to facilitate for uh, today this discussion. How would you like to just take it over, please? Yeah, I thank you, Nick, and um, thank you, everybody, for um, joining us uh, here for, for our study time together, and um, um, yeah, really looking forward to uh, to us sharing together, and I, I, yeah, most of all, we pray we will pray that um God will really um yeah bless as as we do share, and that it will be a real blessing to to everybody that that that's listening. And thank you to everyone that, that that's tuning in. We we really do pray that you'll get a blessing from this. Before we go any further, we are going to ask God to to guide us, uh, and I'm going to uh, um, say a prayer right now. So let's let's do that together. Father in heaven, we do want to thank you for the opportunity we have to um to study the Bible together, um, to discuss it together and to share um, insights from it. And I pray that you'll bless every person that's tuning in, every listener, um, that that they will be blessed by um, by this Bible study time together, and that uh, as we as we begin a new topic uh, for the next three months, Lord, we really look forward to discovering um, new insights into who you are as our everlasting God who wants to have a relationship and a connection with, with us. And I pray that you'll bless us as we gain insights into that and as we begin this journey today is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our overall topic for the next three months that we're beginning today and going to be continuing for the, for the next, uh, next three months is the topic of God's everlasting covenant. Now, that word covenant 
actually is a is really a, a, a theological concept. It's a term that that is uh, referred to in the Bible. Possibly not a term that w- is used that much uh, in ordinary language in our ordinary speak. So, before we go any further, um, and I know that we will, you know, over the next number of weeks, uh, unpack various aspects of. God's covenant and the covenant and what it means, um, looking at it through the Old Testament, the New Testament, etc. But uh, just for a moment, I wanted to ask each of you um, to perhaps um, in simple terms, how would you explain what we mean by what, what is this term covenant referring to? Who wants to sort of kick it off for us first? Thank you, Helen. I look at covenant as an agreement. And in this case, we're talking about the agreement between God and the, the creator with his creatures. And right throughout, from Genesis all the way through, you will see the covenant being mentioned. The word everlasting covenant, though, is mainly in the Old Testament. I think it's something like 283 incidences, and it's only once it's mentioned in the New. Mm. But the word covenant is mentioned many times, but the everlasting covenant is mentioned only once in the New Testament. Mm. Right. Okay. Really helpful. So, so a, a good w- another word for it really is agreement. agreement. Uh, that's yeah. a term that w- that's yeah. much more easily understood. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. And uh, the, the the thought there of the fact that it's it you know between God and and us between God and 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 humanity is 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 where I we're going to be coming from. I think from. that's really important. Yeah. What uh, Helen has actually just shared there. Uh, this this concept of an agreement because I agree totally uh, that a covenant is an, an agreement. But I suppose myself. It, this is a, a, an agreed agreement. I mean, for example, when I was uh, uh, dating my wife all those years ago, way back when I was uh, doing my tertiary study, uh, we, we dated for about five years. And, you know, during that time, we we shared a great deal. We shared about the future. We shared about our history. We shared about our families. We really got to know each other. We became really good friends uh, over a, a long period of time. But it was only in 1983, I think, <laughs> uh, yes, I'm getting myself into trouble here, that I finally stood uh, with my wife at the front of a church in front of a, a respected pastor, and uh, we then formed an agreement or a covenant. We were friends for a long time, but the covenant actually only came in when there was a formal agreement that was actually put in place. And I think that this is why Helen is uh, uh, is so correct in describing it as an agreement. Mm. Um, but can I say, Joseph, that for me, the thing we have to be careful of, this is not an agreement between uh, equals. This is like a husband and a wife... What you have is an agreement between two equals that they will love, that they will support, yes, and, yes. and all yep. the rest of it. Yes. Whereas between man and God, this covenant has been developed by God for man's benefit. Yeah. And uh, to me, that's the thing. It hasn't been, it's not a, a mutually agreed. Mm. Uh, because we in our sinful condition often don't know what it means uh, to actually uh, have, what it means to have a, uh, a beneficial agreement for ourselves. God does. And so what he's actually done is created this, uh, this agreement that he's offered to us and he wants us to become part of. That's really, really, really good, Gary. I mean, yeah, um, to understand that, that, yeah, 
in a sense that is an agreement, but not in the sense that we so often think of these days on, on a human level. So I really appreciate the, the, the distinction you're making there, that it, it's not between equals. It's the, it's the sort of agreement that, can I suggest that your bank makes with you okay. when you go to form your mortgage. They give you a contract, and that particular contract is you can sign it, well, you cannot sign it, mm. but if you don't sign it, you don't get the loan. Yeah. If you do sign it, you get the loan, and you have negligible input into uh, that particular agreement. It's not a, an agreement between equals yeah. as far as a mortgage is concerned, uh, and neither is it uh, between man and God. Yeah. So okay. God is likened to a bank here. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have said that last part, but that's, that, that's a good one, actually, because uh, indeed God is like a bank, you know, and uh, full of uh, wealth and uh, benefits, you can access that wealth. I think one of the things that, that I picked up, Gary, as you're speaking, is that with this um, covenant, it is not an equal um, contribution. God has contributed so much more. That's a good way of putting it. That's a good way to put it. And and I guess we will see. We will see as we go God's initiative and the, um, I guess the terms and the conditions, if you like, and and that relationship is going to be unpacked even more. So appreciate these these overall insights that that sort of set the scene for us for where we're going for the next Mm, few weeks. Sorry, Helen. No, that's okay. You've actually mentioned the word I was bringing in was God's initiative. A bit unlike what Gary just said, we go to the bank because we want the loan. But in this case with the Bible, it is God making the covenant. That's a good distinction. It's like God is pursuing us, you know, and he says, Mm. you know, you can just take, for example, one well-known one that a lot of people would know, and that is Noah, Yeah. you know, and and when the flood came and afterwards God made this agreement, this this covenant, He, he was the one that went to Noah and said, I will no longer cover the earth with a flood. And, and to really ratify, well, it's not a common word, but to, to seal that covenant, he said, I will put my bow in the clouds yeah, yeah. so you could see it. You know, so it's God that's doing it. Not us going to the bank. Sorry, Gary, but, but it's, it's, it's God that's coming to us. I knew the analogy would break down somewhere. <laughs> you have done well there, Helen. Okay. At least, yeah, key, uh, we're saying, identifying covenant essentially is an agreement. It's an agreement between God and humans. Uh, it's not an agreement of equals, and we're going to look into this further, the nature and the elements of that. Uh, thank you all. As, as, as we, as I said, that's going to be looked at far more. So I didn't want us to spend any more time. But it, it's helpful just to sort of begin by defining some some key concepts there. Now, in our study today, I, I want us to kind of look at this in in, in three parts um, because what we're going to do is we're going to go to the very beginning of Scripture to look at the very beginning uh, what God made and what actually happened to, to that. So, I uh, for the sake of I guess um, simplicity and clarity, I've, I've decided to break down our study into into three sections. One, first of all, going to first look at um, God's original plan secondly what went wrong and then the third part is um, at the end we're going to look at well how does God respond or how did God respond and deal with what went wrong initially um, so let's look at the first uh, first aspect here and that's God's God's original plan we're going to go right to the very beginning of scripture to, to Genesis Genesis chapter 1 uh, and verse 1 the very first 
verse in the Bible, the opening the opening words there. And I want to ask somebody on our panel to read that for us. I mean, uh, some of our listeners will probably know this one off by heart, very short verse, but l- let's read it anyway. Uh, who, who's got it there? David, are you happy to, to read it if you have it there? Thank so, you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. So Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Okay. So very well known, perhaps, but let's not miss the significance of this in the context of what we're talking about, uh, covenant agreement between God, uh, as we'll see, between God, God, and, God and humans. What's the significance of this very first verse here? In the beginning, God created. What do you see here as significant, David? There's clearly a number of things, but if you're going to have a covenant, you need to have a covenant with someone. Yeah. So all we have here is in the beginning God. Uh, this first verse of Scripture presupposes, uh, well, well, tells us that in the beginning there is God. It doesn't go into the history or mm. backgrounds, just there is God. There is no humans. So there is no one yet to have a covenant with. So again, I think as Helen has said, God through Scripture is the initiator of this divine covenant. Yeah, so it starts with God. And as we're going to see, it requires someone else. And, and we'll touch on that a little bit more. Uh, did anybody else want to uh, say or comment on anything there about this, this opening verse here? In the beginning, God, God creating. Because what I want us to now look at then is why do you think God chose to create? Okay, if I just might yeah. add here, that whole verse, it really is something we should be meditating on. Just those first few words, for God, or in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You know, if we break it all down, he is the great creator. And if we look at science and we look at the world around us, you can't help but go, wow. You know, I mean, we, we're not, not a scientific show here, but I mean, we could mention the stars and the galaxies and all the rest of it. It's huge, mm. these opening mm. words. And it's like God saying, hey, That was me. I created it. Now, from where I'm sitting, I don't believe that God needed to create the universe. He chose to create it. Ah, okay. And and for me, that's that's important. You know, I'd like to even put that word in there, but we shouldn't add to the Bible. But you know, in the beginning, God chose to create it. And why did He choose to create it? Because God is love. Mm. Love is best expressed if it's towards something or yeah. somebody, yeah. as we were saying yeah. with an agreement. It has to be towards something or somebody. And you're really touching on, I guess, where I, where I want us, where I see us going, really, mm. um, in in this in this in this discussion and in this topic with with God, an essence of who He is. And you've t- talked about love. We'll, we'll come to that a little bit more now, Nick. I'm noticing you wanting to also add something here, please. Yeah, I was just going to say that um, you know we have that perception of God. Of a distant God, you know, some, even we as human here, a sinful nature, you know, we're thinking, oh, God is not interested in us. He's somewhere there distant. Yeah. But through those words, we understand that God is a God of relationship. God is the one who creates and he's not for creating for himself. Yeah. You know, he's creating the, when we look at the whole creation is to be a harmonic, um, unit. Yeah. I believe that's very important from only this, verse in the Bible to understand that God is present Mm. in our life. God is with us. God is not just a a foreign or a a, a force somewhere, you know, distant from us all. He's with us. 
yeah. right now. Yeah, and clearly that gets um, uh, becomes even clearer and, and f- quite quite explicit, Nick. When we when we look at um, a, as the story, scriptural story unfolds, with with obviously the, the, the um, God coming in the form of man, Jesus, um, and they called him Emmanuel, God, God with us. So very much a, a God that that's present with us. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you, Helen. I'm just thinking of those first few words again. You know, it shows us that God is distinct from His creation. Yeah. Because yeah. those first few words in the beginning, God, yeah. and what did he do? He created, what did he create? He created the heavens yeah. and the earth. Yeah. So he is That's the creator, good. distinct from his creation. He's eternal, he's in control of the world. And, you know, we we learn that he's creative. So when we see other people that are creative, and I think we'll come to that um, in our study, that, um, you know, that's part and parcel why you see creative people around this world but what this teaches me also as i said because it was out of love is that we are valuable to him Mm. you know my self-esteem used to be so so low i grew up with a huge inferiority complex felt totally inadequate felt like i was out of place in the whole world and it wasn't until i actually dwelt on these first few words and realized what god did and he, even right through the Bible, it speaks of his love, that he considered that we were so worthy. He made a beautiful planet for us. Yeah. It was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to see that again. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And no, I appreciate that. That that's that, that's good. So, yeah, um, what we find here is creation did not make God loving, but God's love did make creation. I want us Genesis one one makes this opening opening uh, grand statement. Then then of course uh, as you read the, the rest of the chapter, it shows how God created the world in six days. We come to the end where, as we'll see at the end of this uh, near the end of the sixth day, and we'll read this now. The creation of, of of humans as in a sense like the crowning crowning act. I want us to to, to read that passage now. Uh, Genesis chapter one. Verses twenty six to to twenty eight. Gary, are you happy to do that? Um, Genesis one twenty six. And God said, uh, "Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth." So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And one more verse. And God blessed them. And God said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the face of the earth." Mm, okay, thank you. This comes at the end of uh, this passage describing creation, where it, it accounts describes uh, what God creates, and then as as I touched on, um, the crowning act of His creation creates creates humans. Again, let, let's consider this. Why did God? I asked a little bit for before um, why did God create full stop let's say or per se but now why why does he create humans what does that tell you about God it says to me that what we've got is a God who treasures companionship uh, do you know one of the things that uh, we live in a world uh, that is incredibly individualistic yeah and it's something that to me is certainly making life hard for so many people because as human beings we are not created to be individuals we are actually meant to live in companionship mm. and i think that what we actually find in the scriptures here is that we actually serve a god who also wants to live in a companionship 
with his creatures. And to me, that's a very beautiful picture because it's the picture that you get of a uh, of a husband and a wife. Of course, when I do a wedding, I actually emphasise to the uh, to the couple that uh, today we're actually bringing together a three braided cord mm. uh, because a three braided cord is not easily broken. Yeah. And and what you find, you have the husband and the wife, and when that's connected with with Jesus Christ, yeah. you actually have an incredibly powerful uh, a bond that occurs. And I think what's occurring here at the uh, at the very beginning in in the book of Genesis is God is forming that three braided cord. Humanity is not meant to function as individuals. Humanity is not meant to function as individuals. Yeah, and and what about God? Functioning without humanity. Can I throw that one in? What are we discovering here about God? And Gary, I'll get yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think what we've actually got here is this whole issue of. I mean, the Christian Church has always understood God to be a Trinity. Now, I realize that there's been, you know, there's significant debate about about that particular issue and how it's perceived. But, you know, as I read my scriptures, I I look at it and I say, hey, God the Father, you know, we've even got in the book of Genesis, you know, man, when he sinned, uh, has become as one of us, Ah. is what what the scriptures actually see. So what we've got is God, if you like, being, I would call it, in a plural form, because love... Love cannot be okay. self self seeking. Okay, okay, and and so right at the outset here, if God said, verse twenty six, then God said, "Let us make man make, in yeah. our image." Yeah, let us now. Yeah, it, it's yeah. I, I, I want to. I think David, you're wanting to add, add to that. Yeah, um, probably. Carrying on from what uh, Gary said, love is not self serving. God is love. Therefore, everything God does. He is investing in something else. And what better um, creature or object to invest in to something that is made in his image or likeness in humanity? So God is a God that gives. Love is self-sacrificing. Love is not self-centered. So God by nature exudes something that has to go somewhere and, and it's investing in something it's giving. Yeah, it requires an object. And yeah, now appreciate that. Very quick one. Because I like, as you put it here, um, Gary, God needs or but that kind of uh, relationship. But what I understand here is family. And that, that word God created in his image. Yeah. You, we used to have that saying, you know, even among us, looking at somebody's son and so, oh, he's in an image of his father or his mother. Spitting image of, yeah. You know, yeah. what that means, family. I believe we are even not able to understand fully in our sinful nature right now how God in, uh, created human beings in his own image because we can only attempt to think in our sinful nature but if we are perfect there we don't probably uh, understand fully the, that concept so um, now Nick you touched on you know, in his image and uh, uh, there are whilst there are a number of uh, lots of points we could probably bring out I, I, I see here there's probably three key uh, key concepts um, or even key, key phrases that, that were mentioned in these verses, verses 26 to 28 Genesis 1, 26 to 28 uh, the first one I want to draw our attention to is this idea um, where it says um, let us make man in our image uh, okay, we've talked about the plurality haven't we, in fact there's a couple of examples of it there, uh, let us 
in our in our image. So, how do we understand this this concept of being created in God's image? So, uh, Nick, you 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 use the example there that we um we often these days when we see someone and um, they remind us of of their family members, you know, with you know, and an often expression that's used is, oh, you're, you're a spitting image of your your father, for example. We say when we say that, we what what are we often referring to in that analogy? We're, we're usually referring to what they're Physical features, perhaps, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, their form or, or, or their appearance. Is this what is referred to or meant by by this uh, when it says that, uh, that when God says, "Let us make man uh, humans in our image," uh, are we in a physical form as God, or is there something else here? And and what's the significance of this for us? Thanks, Joe. So we know that God is spirit, but God can take on many forms, correct? So I believe this whole image thing, and it's something theologians wrestle with, uh, big debates over. Uh, being in the image of God means that there is a resemblance between humanity and God, not specifically necessarily a physical attribute, but moral attributes, um, social attributes. Uh, God has given us the ability to make moral choices. Uh, we have conscience. Uh, and I think this is tied into the dominion aspect as okay, well. Okay. The other thing I would say is that so so on that so th- there is a contrast then I guess between humans and other other crea- creation, other creation, other created beings, animals, etc. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. And I think also uh, the, the, this is written in Hebrew, but the Greek word for image here is icon. Now on our computers <laughs> we have icons on the computer. The icon is a, a small symbol that represents something greater. It oh, represents okay. uh, the word icon or Excel icon represents the Excel program. So God has made us in his image. We're an icon. We're here to represent something far greater as well. We're here to represent God. So I think it has multiple applications. And, and I like that. Helen? I mean, we can't be completely like God, obviously. He is the creator. We are the creature. Um, but we can reflect his character. We can reflect his glory and um, David mentioned some of it before. You know, we have the ability to reflect his love, his patience, his kindness, his forgiveness, his faithfulness. We have that ability. His, and as I mentioned before, the creativeness. Yes. That, um, I mean, you just look at what God does. Nobody can paint a sunset like him. But I have seen some beautiful paintings of sunset. I believe that we will never be totally like God, but it will actually we will reflect in all areas if we choose Him and want to. And the more that we spend time with Him, the more we will reflect Him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think Joseph. One to me, the area that we are actually most like God in the image of God is the issue of freedom. In other words, mm. God has actually given to humanity the issue of freedom. He hasn't at any point imposed on humanity what humanity must do. You know, the very moment I say to a person, hey, you're no longer a slave. You are, you are free to make. You are free to accept me or reject me. You are free to go for my will or against my will. You know, that to me is the greatest of gifts you can give a person. You know, I, I as a parent, we had three children and uh, uh, to me, I, I rejoice that, you know, the, the, the kids have, um, have really made some excellent uh, decisions. Mm. Uh, but you know, the thing that I'm, I'm so, so thankful for is that they are all free to actually uh, do what I 
taught them or not do if, if they were just robots that they were saying yes dad you can do what you want you know uh, to me that would incredibly disappoint me mm. i mean i wouldn't want that mm. and to me the most beautiful gift that can possibly be given by anybody is the gift of freedom that's what i think that this this yeah. actually is referring to yeah which again yeah distinguishes humans i guess from from other creation, doesn't exactly. it? Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Helen? Yeah, you've just reminded me of a story that came to mind about the freedom, um, Gary, and that is a story of a, a man who was getting up in years and he was a slave. And when they put him on, on the block, you know, to sell him, he, he all he kept saying was, I won't work. I won't work. And he kept yelling at him, I won't work. And so when they asked for, the, you know, who would bid for him, of course, nobody wanted somebody that wasn't going to work. Mm. And they kept saying, I won't work. I just won't work. And he was really, he was a strong man. And this man came forward and he bid for him. And, of course, he got him. And when he, he took him off, the guy said, I won't work. I, I won't work for you. And the guy never said a word until he got back to his plantation. And when they got down, he said, I did not buy you to work for, for me. He said, I bought your freedom. You are free to go. And that man said, I will work for you for the rest of my mm. life. Mm. Mm. And I think that exemplifies what you were saying, Gary. Yeah. I just want yeah. to cry when I yeah. think of that. Yeah, story. that's a powerful yeah, story. A powerful. powerful story. Thank you. Thank you, Helen. Let's look at the other uh, aspect here let's talk about. So we, we, we mentioned about God. Um, because his love, love requires an object, love requires others. And, and so God uh, says, let us... We have the plurality already even there, but let us make make man in our image. And then it says it, it created the male and female. So it doesn't just create one human, so to speak, but, but yeah, but we find here uh, male, male and female. Now, I'm not necessarily wanting us to go into you know, gender debates here, but the fact that God's creating immediately two. A- anything significant here about what that's telling us about, about humanity and God, God's view of humanity? Perhaps too, just on the image here, Joseph, okay. the, the image of God might be fully seen in male and female ah. because the two are told to become one. We see the plurality of the Godhead, um, <laughs> Father, Son, yeah. Holy Spirit. Yet they are. So there's an aspect there, I think, mm. of the image of God. The other thing quite clearly, and maybe okay. this is the obvious, is that um, God made male and female. This is the divine plan. Yeah. Two different sexes. He made them for a purpose to become together as one. And we live in a world where that is now in question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think what this is saying to me is that male and female are actually different. That's the reality of this. There are certain things which they are similar in. Yes. But the male and female brain actually function differently mm. and, and you know the thing i'm just so so thankful for is that in bringing up our children i actually had the you know we actually had the uh, the import of uh, my my wife and myself because we were able to come at it from two totally different uh, perspectives i suggest to you that the male and female brain is actually different Different, very different, and in a sense you really need both to get humanity. It's complementary to each other. Humanity is not complete. A male is not a complete species representation. Okay. A female is not a complete species representation. Yeah. But male and female together, and I'm not talking here about sexually, because there is something about coming together as far as the 
human brain yeah. is actually yeah. concerned. Yeah. 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 You know what I was thinking? Um, I was just thinking about uh, um, Henry Ford, for example. If he would have um, just built a box with four doors or five, whatever, no wheels, would you have a car now? Or what about if he will uh, just design four wheels? Have four wheels there, put it in, you know. But he decided to have four wheels with a box, put it together, very functional, yes? I mean, there are many lessons to learn even from uh, from that yeah. because uh, the uniqueness mm. of male and female, which David just pointed out a bit earlier, that they become one. Mm. That's amazing. And we to be challenged in these days to think that, you know, that's not necessarily, you know, you can um, how to say, dismiss mm. that idea which God had to create a perfect unit, yes. if you like, male and female, yeah. to function perfectly mm. and to represent him, because that's what we are talking in his image, that's right. to represent him. That's right. And now we are thinking that we are wiser, we can function differently. Yeah, yeah. But are we going to represent God? Yeah, that's a good one. Helen. As a woman, I feel like I need to put my hand up here and just say a couple of words, and that is when God made male and female, he didn't make one more in his image than the other. Ah, yeah. That's it, and yeah. that yeah. comes into what you were saying and what Nick just said. Yeah, important point. It was the pinnacle of his creation. Yeah. Not one more than the other. And yes, people will argue and say, yes, well, Adam was created first and then Eve and, and, and what have you. But he didn't bring Eve from his feet. No. And he didn't bring him Eve from the head. He brought Eve from the side. But Adam you know. recognized but that he was roles. not complete yes. until Eve came along. Yes. You know, I mean, here's yeah. Adam wandering around trying to, you know, I mean, all these animals out here, they all have a, a partner. And he suddenly recognized that he yep. was incomplete. I, w- I was just going to say, yes, I believe man and woman complement each other. And it was all part of God's plan, mm. you know, the pinnacle of creation. So really, Gary, what you're saying, and I agree, <laughs> only in male and female do we have the fullness and the completeness of humanity. Yeah. And yeah. when we verge away from that, as Nick has said, we verge away from the image of God or representing the image of God fully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which leads us to the the next uh, key phrase in this passage. Uh, this is actually... And it is this, where God says to them, be fruitful and multiply. Now, this is actually the very first command. It's actually the one command that humanity <laughs> has definitely obeyed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Be, be fruitful and multiply. Now, yes, there is clearly the, 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 the physical aspect to it, but... In, in, the, in the context that we're looking at here of God, God, God uh, wanting to create, God wanting to not just have creation, but to have humans, what we find here, male and female, isn't it interesting that the first thing he says to them is, is in a sense, to, to multiply themselves? So God himself did not, if we can put it this way, God himself did not want to be alone. He wanted humans with whom he can share his love, to whom he can demonstrate his love. And do you see here then, in a sense, immediately God is now wanting humans, in a sense, to replicate that, to, um, to, to, to have others to whom they can show love to. Um, so it's, it's really demonstrating something here, here about God. It has been said that the essence of worldliness is to get, but the essence of godliness is to give. Uh, the essence of who God is, is love. 
And we've already identified it, and uh, we're now really reiterating this point, that by definition, love requires others. Creation did not make God loving, but God's love resulted in creation. Love requires requires others. Uh, and so that's that was God's original plan. Now, um, is there anything else you wanted to kind of comment on as we look at Genesis one, and it, you know, we we haven't specifically yet read from Genesis chapter two, but Helen, you you talked about the idea of um Adam, you know, it it, it was incomplete, and and, and the fact it's in Genesis chapter two that we read there the first description of something that's not good, and it, it's in the context of verse eighteen. It is not good for man to be alone. God says, "I will make a helper suitable for him," and then he describes how how the woman was created. Helen, you and you you refer to that not not from the bottom, not from the top, but from the side. There there is equal. What does what what does the, the creation of the world and of humans tell us about God's original intent. Is anyone that just wants to say something here before we move off this this first point, God's original plan? What, what was God's original plan that we get from from the um, the account of creation? Uh, one thing which comes in my mind, uh, it's also responsibility here, uh, Joseph. I mean, God could have uh, just uh, after created Adam and Eve, you know, said, okay, to have each other because male and female, yeah. but he could... Uh, Every so often, you know, just have sets of children, other people, just keep creating other other people. But God gave this uh, to the humankind, you know, this amazing thing, procreation, mm. you know. And you see a family today, um, if, you, if they don't have children, they are not feeling complete. Generally, now we are not saying that those people who don't have uh, uh, children uh, are not complete, but there is that feeling, and and. People are interested, even if they don't have children, they are very much inclined to help somebody, to adopt maybe a, a child or to look after a, a, a child and things like that. It's in, it's in your nature. Mm. So, so I think we're you know, identifying again here the idea that um, God, God wanted to have someone with whom he could share his love. And then he creates humans uh, with also that, 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 I guess, that innate desire to be able to share for them to share their love, love to others. So, mm. yeah, okay. All right, so that's God's original plan. God's original plan was that he wanted humans with whom he could share his love. Let's go to the second section uh, in our study today. So God creates humans. He puts them in a beautiful garden, a perfect environment, and they lived happily ever after. Don't you wish? Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, what went wrong. Eh? I want us to go to Genesis chapter 2 and look at a couple of verses here. Verses 16 and 17. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. Who can read that for us? Um, Helen, are you happy to maybe read it? or? Yeah, happy to read it. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. Thank you. Okay, I have the New Living Translation and it says here, uh, verse 16 in chapter 2, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. Verse 17, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Let's discuss the purpose of putting this tree in the Garden of Eden. Why why this test? Well... I believe God gave each one of us a freedom of choice. And 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 keep going in a moment, Helen, but yes. it picks up from what Gary, uh, you mm-hmm. said that w- 
you see, see that one of the key ways that we are as humans in the image of God is this concept that we we have this freedom of choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And Thank so you. Keep going. God actually gave Adam that freedom of choice. If he hadn't put if he hadn't put that in the tree the tree in the garden, you know, and everything was just hunky dory. There was no so. So what, like you, what you're getting at? It sorry, was a test. I didn't want to interrupt you, but yes. what you're getting at is if that tree wasn't there, the, the humans could only ever do what. Right, I suppose, yeah. that's right. You know, I mean, they didn't exercise their freedom of choice. They didn't have to. But because that tree was there, they had the choice to obey God or not obey God. That was the risk that God took. It was the freedom, yeah. Okay, okay. Mm. Risk that God took. Interesting. Mm. Uh, We might come back to that in Mm. a moment. But does anybody else here want to just just comment on on the significance of the tree? Thank you, Helen. Uh, That 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 is so 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 correct, and it's so important uh, to understand understand this. Now, this has implications for, I mean, uh, lots of other themes and understanding. You know, um, why we're how pain and suffering and evil entered, etc., etc. And I don't intend for us necessarily unpack that today. But yeah, David, um, see, you want to add something here. So there are two trees. Uh, we already find in at the beginning of Genesis, in about verse 9, it talks about the two trees, the tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We're talking about covenants. Uh, what are we really talking about? A relationship. Yeah. So the tree of life, if they ate from that tree, they could live forever. Um, their eating of that tree symbolized to me that they wanted to be in relationship with God. God gives free choice, so there is only one option. There is only one exit door, and that exit door is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if they ate from that tree, they are essentially saying, we choose not to be in relationship, not to be in covenant with you. Yeah, I really like that. It's really, really good. You're, you're connecting it you know, because we're really we're laying the foundation here for this for the whole understanding of the covenant. Um, and I really like the way you've, you've connected that back uh, for us, uh, Helen. You you want to add something, please? Yeah, I was just thinking if he was in that garden without that choice, it would be like being in prison, really, wouldn't it? You think about that. He wouldn't have had the opportunity. He would have no. just obeyed because there was nothing there to disobey. I mean, I know that's an odd way of looking at it, but I just when we were talking then, I thought, well, without that, you know, he would have been like a robot. Yeah, yeah. If you think about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, fair, 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 fair point, uh, Nick. And just very quickly, I uh, it just opened my mind now, uh, and we say that uh, what a pity that they ate from the tree of the uh, knowledge. But what about if they wouldn't eat from the tree of life? What would happen to them if they will choose not to eat from the tree of life? You see, that can be also a very okay. interesting, uh, uh, again, the manifestation of choice, choice yes. freedom of choice. Yep. And they probably understood that how important it is to eat from the tree of life. Well, I think that's, you know, and David, what David was touching, that there are the two trees. There were the two trees there. Our first humans, Adam and Eve's, as in their, their, their existence, really dependent and their happiness, eternal happiness, depended on choosing uh, to obey God, choosing to um, to maintain this agreement by you know, eating from the tree of life and choosing not to to eat from the mm. tree, uh, tree mm. of the knowledge of, of good and evil. So perhaps that, that's, that's in a sense a, probably a, a response to, to, to what, you, what you're raising there. But the overall point is that their life and their, their eternal happiness depended on them um, choosing to accept the, the conditions of the agreement that, that God had, God in a sense, was, was, was offering to them. 
Which is really choosing to be in relationship or yeah. not to be in relationship. Yeah, yeah, oh, I like that. that. That's that's good. I just like to say, praise God that He stopped them from eating that tree of life after they fell. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's why He actually put the cherubim at the entrance to the garden yeah. so they couldn't get back to it. Yeah. Let, let's come to Genesis chapter three now. Um, I do want us to spend a little bit of time here because this is this is now significant to understanding what went wrong. So we, we've seen God's original intent. God's original plan, but what went wrong? Genesis 3, verses 1 1 to 5. Do you have it there, Nick? Is that okay? Sure. Now the serpent was more cunning than uh, any beast of the field which the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees from the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, "You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die." Thank you. Uh, from from that, I want us to notice. Okay, here we find it, it, the serpent. Now, just to identify this, when we compare this, for example, to Revelation chapter twelve, uh, Revelation twelve verses seven to nine, identify for us that the serpent is the devil, Satan. The devil here is ma- is masquerading himself as, as a serpent here in this tree. Notice his threefold approach. And, and as we look at that, keep in mind then, what does this tell us about his main objective? We're now introduced, we are, so far so good, it's been God, it's been all lovely, now we're introduced to, to the devil. Um, notice his threefold approach. Number one, and we saw this in the first verse, with his opening question there to, to, to Eve, um, the first thing that, that he's looking at here is suggesting that God is what? God is restrictive. Did you, did you pick carefully how it's worded? Did God say that you cannot eat from every Every tree. Now, if we carefully compare what we read in Genesis two sixteen and seventeen, what do we actually notice? Uh, God said, "You may, you may eat freely or eat free from any tree." Okay, so notice that. Notice the contrast. It's subtle. You may God say, "You may freely, you may freely eat from any tree, just one." Satan comes along and says. Did God say you cannot eat from any tree? It's subtle, but it's very significant, isn't it? Mm. He's insinuating, oh, you know, God, well, is is restrictive. He he wants to limit you and confine confine your freedom. And the danger is the question, isn't it? He's just casting that element of doubt. Yeah. Are you sure yeah. God said? Did he yeah. really say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did God say it? Well, and so immediately you're thinking, hang on, did he? You know, wanting to question yourself. And you remember, yeah, exactly. Didn't, didn't he um, say exactly the same to Jesus when the Satan tempted him? If you be the Son of God, there was that doubt that he wanted to place in. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, that, that, that's a very significant uh, comparison to make and, and, and um, very, very important that, that you highlighted that. Then the second approach, uh, so first is to insinuate God's restrictive, his limiting freedom. Then the next one is is to indicate that God is actually not truthful. In verse 4, he uh, he says, and I can read that one I, because okay. I stopped at uh, verse 3. Uh, yeah, verse 4, it says, Oh, that, okay, carry on. Yep. Yeah, then yep. the serpent said to the woman, uh, You will not surely die. For okay, God you will not die. So yeah. what, it, what had God said in chapter 2? Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of evil because you will die. Yeah. Here? You won't, sorry, Nick, carry on. Yeah, and um, you'll sure, surely not uh, die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, 
your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Mm. So that was verse 5 as well, is that right? Yeah. So sec- second approach from, from Satan is uh, God's not truthful, you can't trust him. And thirdly, to even doubt, doubt, God, doubt God's motives. God, God doesn't really have the best I- intentions for you. He's actually holding something, something back from you. Now, um, we need to keep moving. We need to keep moving. But I did want us to highlight that, that, that threefold approach and, and then wanting to see what's, what's really behind the whole approach of, of the devil here. We'll come back to that in a moment. Let's let's go across now to verse eight. I really want us to, to make sure we get here to, to verse eight, verse eight to ten, uh, Genesis three eight to ten. Um, Gary, if you can read, yeah, read three eight to ten, please. So what happens is, the, the Eve, the woman, takes the fruit, eats it, gives it to her husband Adam, and then we come to this. So it's Genesis three eight. Yep. Uh, and we and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam. And his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called Adam and said to him, Where are you? So they said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. Wow. Okay. Okay. What is going on here? What's going on here? What, 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 what's happened? God's uh, asking a rather obvious question, isn't he? You know, yeah. where are you? You know, I mean, is do we assume that God actually a god of all knowledge didn't know where adam and eve yeah. actually were yeah. i mean yeah. this is a relational question this is the sort of question that a you know a loving parent might ask of their children you know where are you really at mm. you know yeah. this is this is a god whose heart is going out uh, to to adam and eve who have just sinned wow so god is going out looking Immediately. He, he is the one who's taking the redemptive action. Yeah, takes the divine. Yeah, takes the, yeah, I, yeah. Again, a significant insight into God's God's initiative. Uh, we, we read their account that, that they're hiding, uh, they're afraid. So there's hiding, there's fear. Prior to that, if we read, they're covering up. There, there's shame. What what is going on? Where are all these feelings suddenly coming from? The, the or should I say, where are these emotions? You know, prior to now, there'd been nothing to sort of mar the the, the scene. What what's happened? This is really the impact of sin, isn't it? Ah, yes. I mean, this yes. is what's, what's happening. See, the thing that absolutely amazes me is that what you get is Adam and Eve, within just a couple of hours of sinning, they move into the blame game. Yeah. You know, why did you do this? Says God, and you suddenly get this blame game. You know, yeah. within just a, a couple of decades, you get murder yeah. coming on the earth <laughs> because you get you know Cain a killing killing Abel, and then within just a, a short period of time, you get uh, God saying, and the earth was incredibly violent. You know, you get a spiral yes. is starting to take place uh, on all that is occurring on the earth. And, of course, uh, Scripture puts this down to uh, the origin of sin and mm. the impact of sin on the human race. Yeah. What I notice in my life, I'm not sure if you have the same experience, but if you do something wrong, you commit a sin or do something, immediately after that is that overwhelming emotion of feeling the guilt, even if you don't recognize it. Sometimes you choose not to recognize that, but they're still there. That emotion is there. Uh, you know that you did something wrong. And unfortunately, in these days we live in so many relationships are broken because people are choosing to 
commit sin. Mm. <laughs> Simply like that. Commit sin. Well, well we're talking here about, about, about what actually sin is. We, we, this is giving us a real insight into what sin is. Sometimes we think sin is just, yeah, well, it was sin when she took the, took the fruit and ate it. But it's actually a broad, broader aspect to it. Gary, you, you've talked it's about a spiraling type yeah, effect. Yeah. You know, I mean, some theme parks you go to, you can actually go down a, a big spiral. And the closer you get to the center, the faster you actually go. Yeah. And that's actually what's occurring here. And I suggest it's actually what occurs today as well. You know, sin actually sucks people in yep. uh, down the proverbial drain pipe. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And so you said there was the blame game. So the relationship between Adam and Eve that, that um, is, is breaks, breaks down. Um, there's hiding and fear from God. The relationship between humans as God is breaking down. So it's it, it's affecting every it's affecting every relationship. And um, we, we're finding that sin doesn't actually happen just in a vacuum. Mm. Um, it is it is it is this breakdown of this this connection uh, that that had that existed there and and I just want to touch very quickly. There's there's a statement that's made in in this book, Great Great Controversy, which says that Satan's constant effort is to misrepresent the character of God, the nature of sin, and the real issues in the Great Controversy. He causes that is Satan causes people to cherish false concepts of God so that they regard him with fear and hate. Now, isn't that what happened to Adam and Eve? Uh, they're suddenly afraid of God. Um, that's because Satan has, has, has misrepresented what God is really like. And, and in a sense, Adam and Eve think that this is what God is like, where in actual essence he's, he's really not. And, and so that brings us to, to our final section of our study, and that is the, the third point. How does God respond? We have an initial response right here, right at the moment that, that humans uh, choose to disobey, and it takes us to Genesis 3.15. Let, let's, uh, let's quickly go there. Genesis 3.15. And, um, David, if you're happy to read that one for us, thanks. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We we need to unpack this verse. It's a little bit cryptic. Uh, Someone bruising a head, bruising a heel. What's going on? Can can someone just unpack this? Uh, what, What is this getting at? God comes to his creation. He chases his creation after their wrongdoing. He wants to restore that relationship. And here we have the first promise. And so... After Adam and Eve have sinned and God has talked to them, he first um, passes a curse on the serpent. He attributes the ultimate blame to the serpent. Then he comes to Adam and Eve and he, he shares with them the consequences of sin. But here in verse 15, he gives this wonderful promise that um, through the offspring of Adam and Eve will come one to restore the relationship, to restore the covenant, to restore everything that has been lost. And here we have a picture of uh, Satan bruising Jesus' heel on the cross, the offspring of the woman, but also on the cross, Jesus crushing the serpent's head. Okay, so you're talking about here, God gives the first promise of how he's going to restore, restore, and and, and what, what is going to be required to restore? I mean, is this just a, is this a quick fix? I guess that's what I'm trying to really kind of um, ask, and Clearly, it's not, is it? No, um, this is a this is a relationship that God is wanting to restore. But you know, there are some at relationships cost, yeah. at a cost. You know, yeah. if if a relationship falls to a certain level, sometimes it takes time to repair that relationship. And what we actually find, I believe, in the Book of Genesis and then right through the Old Testament, is this picture that uh, God is continually striving to uh, to restore human relationship. And that, I believe, is actually the story 
of the covenant because you get God striving and you see him repetitiously uh, restoring uh, his his agreement or his relationship. A man breaks the covenant, but God calls them back again to repent in order that he might again walk with them in an agreement or in a covenant. Uh, to me, I think yeah. it's a very beautiful picture that you actually get painted here in the, the, the whole Old Testament. Yeah, yeah. And so it starts right here, right in here in the very beginning. Yeah. Very good. And it, and it gets unpacked. Brilliant. That's lovely. Uh, Helen, please add. Um, just to wrap up a bit, if you continue to read through Genesis, you can see the fall and degradation of humanity. It just goes downhill fast, as, as Gary was mentioning. But fortunately, when we actually ourselves today, when we disobey, we have a God who is willing to forgive us and he wants to restore our relationship with him. And so I just like to say, no matter where we fall into today, we can give our hearts to God yeah. right now. Yep. And in true repentance, in other words, confess your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us and forgive you your sin, you know, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful promise, as Gary said, you know, because in the end we know that Satan is going to be completely destroyed. And I can't wait for that day. (laughs) So what we find here, Helen, is is that um, God gives this promise and he gives us a first hint, first indication of how... How he's going to restore the relationship and what's going to require. And it's, it's an allusion to the cross where clearly we know that it, 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 it took the life of God's own son. As someone once called it, this, this is, it, it require a wounded warrior. Uh, and we read obviously when we come to the New Testament about Christ who gave himself gave himself what's love love is giving and we find that ultimate expression of love when god christ gave himself on the cross uh, in order to be again restore that relationship thank you panel thank you everyone for joining in our bible study i trust that uh, as you've listened you've been blessed as well we're going to finish with prayer thank you so much helen thank you let's pray Loving Heavenly Father, we just come before you in awe. You are the great creator, but you are the most amazing forgiver. We thank you that you are indeed love, and we can see that in the book. We thank you for your amazing creation, but we especially thank you, Lord, that even though Adam and Eve broke their relationship with you that you wanted to restore it still you wanted to dwell with them and right throughout the bible we can see that's been one of your ambitions is to dwell with us father we invite you into our life right now and ask that you will take over our life and when satan comes to tempt us that you will help us to stay strong as jesus was when he walked on this earth that we will not disrespect you but we will follow you and be an image of you created in your image lord help us to realize that and how worthy that you considered us to do that we want to say thank you thank you father thank you for hearing our prayers and thank you for your protection and love in the name of jesus amen amen Amen. thank you so much uh, panel it was a great discussion and we we could go over and over but uh, please join us again when we are going to uh, look a little bit more into the covenant covenant primer that's our next topic for um, for this program, a Bible study. It's amazing to see that God promised us all to take us through all the challenges we face in this life. And may God richly bless you. 
keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.